Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, a staple of Louisiana kitchens for nearly 40 years. Maker of batters, coatings, boils, tartar sauce, cocktail sauce, and more. Dig into homemade Louisiana flavor. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. According to ancient Chinese legend, the discovery of tea was made in 2737 BC by Emperor Shen Neng while he was sitting under a tree as his servant boiled water. Some leaves of the tree fell into the water and the emperor consumed the accidental infusion, changing the course of hot beverages forever. You see, the emperor was seated under a Camellia sinensis, the same plant that most teas are still derived from today. And believe it or not, it seems southern Mississippi is ideal for Camellia sinensis cultivation. So on today's episode, we're taking you straight to the tea farm to meet adventurous farmers Donald Vandewerken and Jeff Brown of Pearl River Tea Company. Then, armed with all that tea-growing knowledge, we'll travel to the English Tea Room in Covington, Louisiana, where Jan and Tim Lantrip entertain us at high tea while regaling us with the most amazing medical information about tea and your health. Jan spent most of her professional life as a compound pharmacist, and her depth of knowledge in functional medicine is remarkable. Finally, we visit the magical tea wagon of New Orleans' own Tea Witch for a real gypsy caravan-style tea experience. So put the kettle on. It's tea time on this week's Louisiana Eat. Hi, I'm Don Vandewerken. I'm Jeff Brown. Welcome to Pearl River Tea Company. In Pearl River County, Mississippi, just over an hour's drive northeast of New Orleans, is the small town of Poplarville, known as the blueberry capital of Mississippi. Local farmers Donald Vandewerken and Jeff Brown have been in the blueberry business since 2004, taking advantage of southern Mississippi's acidic soil to cultivate acres of blueberry bushes. For years, their blueberries, jams, and cold drinks have been a hit at the Crescent City Farmer's Market. But more recently, Donald and Jeff have expanded their farm to cultivate their newest product, tea. When we joined them in their tea fields one sunny morning, we quickly learned just how hard it was for the two farmers to get their tea operation off the ground. Well, Poppy, again, welcome to uh, our tea farm. And you're standing in the middle of probably three or four acres of Camellia sinensis, which is basically a Camellia plant, a different variety. And this is where all forms of tea come from. 
and it looks just like a tea field you would find in uh, India, China, Kenya, even Russia grows tea, um, or Sri Lanka. By far, I think we're probably one of the larger tea farmers here. There's there, there are some tea farms in Washington and and in uh, South Carolina, the, you know, but for our area, we're we're one of the larger ones. It's been an interesting journey, and I'm glad to share the story. I heard that this region is particularly uniquely suited to this. How did you discover that? <laughs> uh, well, uh, probably 10, maybe 10 years ago, I was at the greenhouse listening to uh, Felder Rushing. He has a show called The Stalt Gardener on MPB, Mississippi Public Broadcasting, and it was a rerun. I was waiting for the Saints to play, about ready to change it over on the radio dial, and a lady called in and said that she was having problems with her camellia bush. So Felder answered the lady's question and what to do, and Felder made a really quick comment. He said, did you know back in the early 50s, Poplarville, Mississippi was home to a Lipton Tea experimental station, and they grew it in Fairhope, Poplarville, Hammond, and Beaumont. And they gave it out to certain people to test to see if tea would grow here. And that was it. So that got my curiosity going, and soon to discover there was a renaissance of tea growers here in the U.S. Talked to Jeff and I said, hey, you know, I think we got onto something here was, you know, as a lot of people know, we're in the blueberry business. So we bought our first cuttings out of North Carolina and I killed half of them. And uh, then we got them going and it was a learning process. There is nobody here in the U.S. that knows anything about growing tea. That so are is, you the expert now? No. <laughs> I can tell you what not to do. <laughs> Dr. B from Mississippi State University was a professor that was very instrumental in helping us to explain the plant process, the planting process, the cycle of processing the tea leaves themselves. Dr. Yu and Dr. B definitely helped. Dr. Yu was a visiting professor from China. We said, Dr. Yu, how do you do this? How much time do you process this? And I think much like making wine, every batch is different because you have the humidity factors, you have the day of the time you dried the leaves out and so forth. So that became sort of a repetitive theory for us that we had to literally learn how to do it uh, by just hands-on work. And that's basically how we started. But growing the tea was one thing, processing is another. When we first started many, many years ago, we were all doing it by hand. And it's just a super long process. And Josephine Dean Jackson was the tea sommelier, as it turns out, in the US, and she was from East Texas. She found us. She said, I want to come to your tea farm and take a look at your tea plants. And it turns out she was an expert of, of the people in the US who had some experience with tea. She and I spent 36 consecutive hours processing tea from the beginning to the end, and I kept saying, are we finished yet? She says, no, we have to do this, and we have to do that. Economically, having researchers and sommeliers and 
experts come and tell you how to do it. That's just not economical. So we had to kind of figure out a way to speed up the process. And then we have to look at our market. Tea can come in many different forms from many different countries, from China, Japan, Korea, all make a different home style type tea. You know, nobody knows what a Darjeeling or Oolong or a white or a yellow tea is here in our area where we are gonna sell our tea. They know black tea and green tea, period. You know, and then there's a few people that will understand matchas and white tea. And so we had to choose something that would sell here that we could get into the marketplace to make money to pay for itself. And so we just decided we were gonna make it tea the Mississippi way. So from the time that you plant the starters that you get, how long does it take before you can harvest? Well, as you well know, all camellia plants are slow growers. So what you see here is probably six to seven years growth. You can harvest tea earlier, but the, you see how we're training the, uh, the, the bushes? And that's what you call a tabletop or table to keep them all straight because what we're trying to harvest is the... The new, the new growth, which is the lighter, the lighter colored leaves that you'll see on the top of the plant. This is called the, the budlet or leaflet. Uh, you have two leaves and a bud. So this would, uh, because this is the largest leaf, this would be the black tea, the medium-sized leaf, or the one on the left, or the, just the smallest leaf would be your green tea. And this would be used for white tea, that little tiny bud, which we're not really focusing on right now at Pro Over Tea, but um, this is a really smooth-tasting, very delightful tea that's often, it's very popular in Asia and other parts of the world. So all the teas that you drink usually come from the same bush. And it's the processing that makes the green tea and the black tea. And it's kind of reverse here. Green tea is the fastest to grow or to do, but the longer process. And the black tea is a longer process, but faster to do. So I think what will help is, uh, is to show you uh, from step one, A to Z, and how we do the tea. So you've seen the fields, and you've seen how there's a table platform of the plants, and if you would typically see in Asia, they were, all the rows would be really tightly packed, uh, and there's a reason for that, because land's very pricey here. Well, we got lots of land, so we, we kind of separate it, and because we use a lot of mechanical uh, pieces of machinery, we have a machine here that we built here, and it's our tea harvester, and we'll walk over here. This is a machine that you created? We created it. And how, why did you have to do that? Well, we didn't have to, but we've got a lot of tea, and again, we wanted to cut down on our labor cost. Uh -huh. So instead of having tea pluckers that most people see, we can just run the machine through there and cut the leaf and then process from there. Instead of bringing one in from China or Japan, which will cost $100,000, we just used a little bit of, uh, lack of better terminology, redneck engineering here, and built our own. And it's basically a zero turn, and we used a tea cutter right here. So it goes over the bush, trims the leaf, throws it into the basket, and, uh, and then from there, we put the tea leaves in these big baskets, and, and I'll just go over the black tea process, is uh, we put the leaves in here for about 24 hours. 
and we have cover here to kind of control the temperature and keep the birds from pooping on it or whatever. From this process, we take it into here, we roll it into here. So all this machine does is just roll it. And we'll roll the tea for about an hour, applying pressure. Move away, Jeff, I'll turn it on so okay. you can see it. So what it's doing is it's breaking this leaf down. And so I, I always tell people it's sort of like a banana when you peel it off and then it starts to turn brown. It's, mm -hmm. So this is sort of the same idea that the leaf is being rolled and it breaks down the leaf. So it creates this enzymatic process, which is sort of like a ripening process for the leaves. And they start changing color and they turn that dark brown color and then they start smelling this tea. So from here, we do either two things. We'll either ferment it overnight, put the moisture back in to kind of give it some more texture and flavor, or we'll go right into the brown tea process. So we had an old, we had a Chinese oven and it just didn't do what we needed because of the volume of tea. So we thought, what can we do to use here that would work? And we tried different processes and we ended up with pizza ovens, which are behind you. Yep, I, I walked up and saw, looked like a pizza stacking oven. Yeah, and all we do is, is we put uh, this leaf in these trays up there and we'll just on a very slow heat we begin pulling the moisture out. And then uh, by feel and texture and time and experience, we know when we need to start pulling it out and we'll rotate the trays in and out. From there, we'll go ahead and we'll shift it to get more of the fiber and all the other sticks out mm -hmm. here. And then from there, we'll put it into the our, what we call uh, pot dryer. And it's all it is is a big wok and it's very loud. After this process, well, this is a sifter and it sifts the tea out, giving you the tea that you normally see at stores, you know, mm -hmm. the, brown, the leaf. brown leaf that over there. And then once it gets to that dry, then we bag it and sell it. What is unique to this microclimate that allows you to grow the tea here? Uh, it's a good question. Um, we didn't know it was going to work here. I mean, most people make the assumption tea grows in higher altitudes and cooler climate, but we're in the semi-tropics. It rains almost every other day here, so that's a good thing, one. And camellia bushes are almost very similar to blueberry plants. They grow just like a blueberry plant. They need to be uh, treated like a blueberry plant. They have shallow roots. Uh, the other thing is they love acidic soil, so we have lots of that here. Uh, I guess the main reason why I chose this over other things to grow here, the deer don't eat it. But we have to be realistic here, you know, um, about our teas. You know, uh, most Americans don't ha are not real educated about tea. And so there's two ways you can do this business. You give the consumer what they want, or you can go out there in the higher end teas, the more expensive teas, but then you would have to market way outside our, our geographical area. So we're just trying to be realistic and just keep it closer to home and just make the basic teas, sell it here, and maybe uh, just stay into the gift market and a, a small business arena. Like, uh, like most products, as long as you have a good story to tell, consumers like that and they want to support you. And we have a, we have a compelling story and, um, and you're, you're sitting in the middle of a tea field right now and it's, uh, it, it can happen. 
Uh, are we going to get rich off of this? Well, that's another story. I think it's a labor of love. Thank you all so much for welcoming us onto the Pearl River Tea Farm. I'm thrilled to have been here. Thank you very much for coming today. We really appreciate it. And I hope you've enjoyed this tour as much as we enjoyed having you. Thank you for coming. Tea farmers Donald Vandewerken and Jeff Brown of Pearl River Tea Company from their farm in Poplarville, Mississippi. You can find Donald and Jeff at the Crescent City Farmer's Market when blueberries are in season. When it's not blueberry time, you'll find them selling their teas as well as frozen blueberries and other products grown and produced on their land. You can also meet them at the Sweet Mississippi Tea Festival that takes place in downtown Poplarville each fall. This year's festival is October 8th and 9th. For more about their operation or to mail order their products, visit jdfarms.us. Coming up next, we venture from the Magnolia State to downtown Covington, Louisiana, where high tea is served all day long at the English Tea Room. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Camellia Brand, Beans Done Right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923. From Rouse's Markets, synonymous with seafood straight from Louisiana's waterways. Rouse's Markets, tastes like home. And from Crystal Hot Sauce, made with three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt. Nothing artificial. Crystal Hot Sauce, how New Orleans does flavor. Just across Lake Pontchartrain, in the quaint little downtown of Covington, there's a charming yellow cottage filled with English tradition and taste. That's the English Tea Room, established in 2002 by Jan and Tim Landrup. Guests of the establishment experience one of the finest high teas to be found anywhere on this side of the pond. When we sat down with Jan and Tim, we knew we were in for a spot of tea, but had no idea of the wealth of knowledge about to be served up with it. I'm Jan Lantrop, and I'm the owner of the English Tea Room. And I'm Tim Lantrop, and I work for Jan. That's how <laughs> I'm originally from Northeast Texas, and up there, 
25 years ago, the, some of the little towns had tea rooms. And my mother would go to them with my aunts. And so we said, well, what is that? So we went to one. We thought that was really interesting. And then Jan's a pharmacist, so she started reading studies on tea and all the health benefits of tea. And um, kind of out of that, we just thought we would open a little shop and sell tea. That's all we intended to do. And then from that over, we've been in business now almost 20 years. And over the years, it's just evolved. We didn't create it, just evolved into what it is now. Jan, how did your interest in tea begin? Well, it began going to compounding school in Houston. Most pharmacies don't compound. You do have to have specialty training. And what that involves is creating something that's not manufactured by a drug company. So I worked in a lab where they were doing research on tea, the polyphenols, the actual elements of tea that create the health benefits every part of our bodies is involved in the health benefits of tea. Our hair, our skin, every organ, the heart, the brain, our thinking, our emotions, mentally. We can focus because of L-theanine. Green tea helps people to be alert and to think more clearly. It's even been studied with dementia. Why do we feel so good when we drink a cup of tea? Why do we feel good? Because the serotonin levels are rising, and we feel relaxed yet energized at the same time. We feel happy and content. Tea makes us feel good, and it's scientifically proven. Back in the 1800s, they used to call it tea drunk. And they said when women weren't used to having their little tea parties in the parlor, they weren't used to drinking so much tea, and they would get absolutely tipsy laughing and falling around and behaving not very ladylike. And it was because we didn't realize that that's what was happening to them. All of a sudden they were coming out of that deep dark depression or the sad or the blues that you can often get in England when the weather's so dreary and cold when they had those afternoon teas and they felt marvelous. So tea has a great benefit. You decide to leave pharmacy and go into tea how did you all make that jump? Well, it really wasn't a jump. It kind of collided. <laughs> and we did both. I did both at the same time. Tim is a decorator and a collector. Tim's ancestry is British and Scottish, very strong. Everything in his DNA is totally UK. So he had a natural love of this whole scene. But with me, I was still doing pharmacy up until last year. I had a dual career. I would come in and splash a bit of tea around or educate was one of my passions. <clears throat> Talking about tea, letting the customers understand what is tea? How do you make tea? You can't make a cup of coffee unless you know how to make it. You have to know how much coffee to put in the pot, how much water to add. The temperature is important. And so it is with tea, but a little more detail because we have so many varieties from just fruits and herbs to black teas that come from Assam and Kenya and India and Nepal and South Africa, these big malty, big mouth teas, you know, and you have to know how to brew it to get that feel and bring out all that essence. The world of tea is fascinating and it's so varied. Coffee's coffee and it's great, but when you step into the world of tea, get ready for an adventure. 
What is your favorite? Is there a tea that you drink almost every day? Yes, it's true. All of them. (laughs) (laughs) Tim, your collections here are simply astounding. Are you like those folks we see on PBS? Are you a picker? Or what do you do exactly? You know, I'm a treasure hunter. And I'm always looking. Every I have certain stores that I go to. When we go to England, they don't have garage sales there. They call them boot fairs. And it's just a big field, and that people will drive their cars and park them in the field and open their trunks, which they call boots over there, and sell out of the trunk of their car. So we've gotten a lot of things there. Um, but uh, I'm always looking for something from England that's really special. Sometimes we'll have customers that'll just walk in and give us things. I mean, we've got a World War One cigarette case with the Prince of Wales, the uh, regiment uh, on it. Uh, I've got a uh, signed letter from Churchill's father. Uh, uh, one of our customers gave us uh, a newspaper printout of Queen Victoria's when she was crowned queen in what was it, 1832 or 33, and it's got everybody that was in her procession, and oh, we just get incredible things come through, and I just love that. I love history, and I love that connection to the past. England has such a rich history, and we're never finished. You're all we don't have any really space to put things anymore. We'll just rotate <laughs> out, whatever. Yeah. Just then, Sue, an actual British expat who lends a certain authenticity to the experience, served our refreshments. On a tiered silver tray, there was an amazing assortment of scones, spreads, tea sandwiches, and sweets. Um, We have cheese and bacon, spinach and artichoke, spanakopita. They are spinach and uh, ricotta cheese. Then we have some fresh fruit. Then on the top, we have our chocolate-dipped strawberries pedophiles and macaroons. With over a hundred teas to choose from, along with every imaginable tea accessory, the sights and scents of this magical apothecary are simply dizzying. You know, everything adds to the experience. So when you put that fine porcelain to your lips and you drink that tea, it tastes different. That's like when you drink wine or champagne, how that that fine, thin glass is so important for the full experience as it is with tea. And the teapot, pouring the tea, the shape of the teapot, the silver from England that we have, and all of that adds to your experience of having tea. You know, Jan, I spend a lot of time in restaurants talking to chefs, And this is the first place that I have ever visited that tea is such an integral part of the recipes here. Would you talk to me about cooking with tea? You know, if you have a raspberry tea, why not make a raspberry dressing? Why not use that tea, the flavor profile of these different teas, and add it to the food? So sure enough, that one of my first recipes was a raspberry vinaigrette made and we still use that we use raspberry tea in the recipe the next thing i started looking at why add extra water or broth to a soup why not use it like we use wine add another level another dimension of taste and value health benefits so one of the great 
recipes that we've developed is Formosa Oolong in our tomato basil soup. That's our signature soup here. The Formosa Oolong has an orchid um, and a, a little bit of a woody. And oolongs are just wild. I mean, it's like a world of, of on its own. Oolongs are from all over China and Asia, and they have incredible profiles from fruit to wood to earthy. So we found this Formosa oolong added to our tomato basil soup, and it's just incredible. I had this lady from England come to teach me how to make scones. We had a partners uh, that were working for us, some managers that we hired from England, and Auntie Jan came to visit. And she was a home economics teacher in England, and what a fussy budget she was. But I adored her. She, we shared the same name, but she was a tyrant. She was like Julia Child, you know, in that she'd, she made all of her own clothes. She was a perfectionist. And one of the things she did was to teach me how to make a proper scone. And I'm telling you, I couldn't do it to save my life. It took me weeks. She would throw them away. I would cry. I'd go back in, let's do it again. And this time, get it right. Everything had to be flour, the sugar, the ratios, different flours, different sugars, and cut just a certain way. I adored her. And at the end, we had success and friendship everlasting. <laughs> That's just grand. I have heard that a certain Sir Anthony Hopkins is a big fan of your scones. Tell that, me about that little that's brush a great with story. A few years ago, or some years ago, they were filming a movie around here, and he was the star of the movie. Someone would come by here once or twice a week and get tea and scones for him, because he's from England. He liked, and he liked our scones. So when they finished the movie, they had an end of the movie party in Hollywood. He bought 350 scones and picked them up one morning and flew them there for the afternoon. That oh. was pretty neat. <laughs> There's nothing like knowing that your scones are on a private plane yeah, in the afternoon, right, right, huh? Right, yeah, going to, going to Hollywood, that's pretty good. So. Satiated in mind, body, and spirit, I had to know what was next in store for the English Tea Room. Some years ago, we were in Mobile, and I was watching that a movie is Around the World in 80 Days. You remember that show? Yeah. When we were kids, and it was a great show. And it was all about the English on this race around the world, it's taken 80 days to cover the world. But anyway, there's a little scene in there where you got two old men sitting at a desk, and in the background, a bell rings, and the guy looks at his watch, and he goes, oh, 4 p.m., time for tea. Oh, yeah, so they close everything, stop everything, they get up, walk out of the room, they go have tea. Well, I did a little research, and in England, they used to ring the bell at 4 o'clock, and it would tell the people it was tea time. Well, that's pretty interesting. They don't do it much anymore, but that was a time. So we've located a place to get a, a nice old 150-year-old bell, oh. and I've got an architect drawing the plans. We're going to build a little bell tower here, and we're going to get that bell, and then every day at whatever time we do it here, 2 or 2.30, 3, 4, whatever it is, someone's going to ring the bell and it's time for tea. So that gives another layer for Covington, you know, with all the things going on here. But I, I love that. So uh, anyway, that's, that's our big project coming up. Well, thank you for welcoming me over here and for all of the incredible things that you shared to eat and drink 
and to learn. Well, thank you. Glad you came. It was wonderful. Love having you here. That's a treat for us. That was Jan and Tim Lantrip of Covington's English Tea Room. A word to the wise, make reservations before you visit the English Tea Room as the seats tend to fill quickly. If you'd like to try the experience yourself at home, you can visit the Tea Room virtually at EnglishTeaRoom.com. What is Lebanese iced tea, and where does it come from? Stay tuned, and we'll fill you in on the origin of this refreshing beverage when we come right back. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, breadings, boils, new air fry mixes, and more classic Louisiana dishes, available everywhere. Dig into homemade Louisiana flavor, and from the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission. Stay, play, and get away on the Louisiana North Shore. The North Shore is brimming with welcoming patios, boasting waterfront views, and decadent dishes. Indulge in fresh Louisiana seafood, locally grown produce, homemade sweet treats, and ice-cold brews. You're invited to feed your soul along the Tammany Taste Culinary Trail, just 40 miles north of New Orleans French Quarter, and a world away. Plan your St. Tammany visit at louisiananorthshore.com. Here's this week's culinary quiz question, brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. What is Lebanese iced tea, and where does it come from? Composed of sweetened black tea, a splash of rose water, lemon, and a spoonful of pine nuts, this aromatic iced beverage makes for a welcome addition to any hot summer day. Light and refreshing, Lebanese iced tea also provides a perfect complement to the bright herbs and spices commonly used in Middle Eastern cuisine. But don't go looking for it in Lebanon. This drink has the distinction of being invented right here in New Orleans. Nick Monum and Karim Taha are the brothers-in-law behind Mona's Cafe, a successful Middle Eastern restaurant and grocery store that started as a mid-city pita bakery in 1987. 
When Mona's expanded to become a restaurant in the early 90s, Nick and Kareem created a new drink for the menu, one inspired by Jalab, a beloved summertime drink in Lebanon. While their Lebanese iced tea shares Jalab's color, flower water, and pine nut garnish, the recipe is uniquely New Orleans, with its base of iced tea firmly rooted in Southern culture. In the decades since Nick and Kareem's invention was first served, it's become such a hit that Middle Eastern restaurants throughout Louisiana offer their own take on Mona's Lebanese iced tea. And its popularity has been growing across state lines, too. You'll find the drink on menus in Texas and, more recently, Alabama and Mississippi. Who knows where it'll pop up next? I'm Poppy Tooker, and Mona's Lebanese iced tea is real Louisiana tea. My name is True, and I'm the Tea Witch. On a rainy Friday afternoon, encircled by the spirits of the French Quarter, I ventured through a carriageway into a large courtyard and discovered an old horse-drawn gypsy cart occupied by a witch. True, the Tea Witch. True relocated to the Crescent City from the East Coast several years ago, bringing along her homeopathic teas and potions. Teas with evocative names like Witch's Coven and Ghost's Blood. I'd been hunting for True since a chance encounter on Magazine Street many moons ago. After we ducked into her magical tea cart for shelter from the rain, True brewed some tea and told me how she became the Tea Witch. I owned a spa prior to this, so I was always working with the magic of herbs and plants within my topical apothecary. I'm one of those estheticians that never really used anything synthetic or full of anything that I would consider carcinogenic. So I wanted to empower myself with more knowledge of herbs and plants and the botany of it so I could literally walk into a field and know exactly what I was needing or what I was searching for. The funny thing I realized pretty quickly was that plants talk to us. And depending on what you're really needing, and I mean that in a medicinal way, they will show up. Now you can go to your doctor and you can get your pharmaceuticals, but we have a whole you know, library of pharmaceuticals that are everywhere outside our window. So with the tea in mind, I just kind of started to work with the magic of all of those plants for whatever particular ailment my client was needing. For instance, if someone came in and they were suffering with topical rosacea or digestive issues, I said, well, you know, let's try these plants internally, not just topically, and see how they work. So that ended up the recipe for Jane. You know, that was Jane's stomach tonic. And that's kind of how it all started. And they just started to call me the Tea Witch. 
And then when I went to Salem and I was seeking out more teas, I didn't really see any teas. I saw amulets and spell work and this and that. And I'm like, wait a minute, where are the teas that our pagan ancestors worked with to help a generation within their challenges of health? And I realized that um, there, was, there wasn't really a tea witch out there that I could find. I mean, they're out there, don't kid yourself. They're all out there, those earth witches are there. But I was smart, I ended up thinking about this in a business standpoint, and I said, I'm gonna trademark that name. <laughs> so I did. So I trademarked Tea Witch Tea, and that kind of moved my whole spa in a different direction where I was now doing farmer's markets and bringing all of those little like named after my client remedies out, but I had to come up with like a general name rather than this is this is Rachel's skin condition. <laughs> so the cart itself, when we met previously in New Orleans and you were within bricks and mortar, I had no idea that you had this mobile device in your New Orleans future, but it really comes from your New York past. Yeah. It was a dream of mine to just have a little Lucy's little cart that you could pull up to and ask a question and I could kind of mix some herbs in a mortar and pestle and we could sit and have a conversation within the farmer market or festival environment. And I loved that. I loved everything about it. The funny thing is, someone even approached us on our very first day at the farmer's market and said, you should be in New Orleans when we were in Rochester. And he was from New Orleans. And I said, oh, crazy. I just got back from New Orleans. My daughter lives there, blah, blah, blah. Well, who knew that I would end up here and then open up a brick and mortar and then build this brand the way I have? But this little tea cart was just lit literally sitting in my garage waiting. And when we transported it here in November during the whole pandemic, when it pulled up in front of my house, it was like it said hello to me again. It said, I was always meant to be with you. Here's where we go to the community. You know, even with the closing of our brick and mortar, I feel like it was time for us to move. It was time for us to move out into the community where we could reach more people. I've walked up to the cart here and it's very welcoming. You've got a countertop available and you've got adorable shutters that open up on one side that I'm seeing you through the window. Take us on a tour of this little cart. I built it around the tires. The tires were from Fort Drum military base. They're 1963 and they're spike wheels. <laughs> All right, so I bought the tires thinking, oh, I want to build a trailer around these cute little tires. And then I ended up finding on one of my adventures, someone had built their children a doll, a little like playhouse. So I said, well, let me take that same concept of a playhouse and build it up. So actually a person that was, you know, taller than three feet could fit in it. And I repurposed all of the windows, all of the wood that's installed on the inside was basically repurposed pallets. The windows were given to me through a woman that literally repurposes everything. We worked on a trade for this. If I did an event, she'd give me the windows. So everything, nothing cost anything. And those are very special windows. Where did they come from? A mausoleum. They were tearing down a mausoleum at an old Catholic cemetery. 
and they talked to me and I just knew that they would look perfect in here. And I really just feel like my godmother brings all these things to me. Like all I need to do is ask her and suddenly they're like right before my eyes. Here you go. I tried to make something that was sufficient and rustic because in my mind I have that age of when, you know, the apothecary and the and the shamans would kind of run through the streets and have their little, you know, bottles of this or that as remedies. I'm eager to have the tea witch experience. Well, what we're offering right now for you today is my own butterfly pea flower tea with lemongrass. This is our pride tea. This is the tea that we bring out when we want to have fun and feel good. It's medicinally great for everything. Great for anti-inflammatory, great for your eyes, great for your hair, great for your skin, great for your disposition and helps you feel happy. And it's blue. I have to say, I've never had blue tea before. Well, it's from Thailand, but I add a little lemongrass to it because I want some more vitamin C. I'm feeling perkier already. <laughs> Happier already. What sort of events do you do with this tea wagon? Where might people invite you to come? Well, they can invite us to do private events. Private events are super fun. We're doing a kitty cat birthday party this week. We love to do farmer's markets. Our teas are gathered. Most of the tea is gathered either here in Louisiana or it's harvested by us. We do the sifting, the cutting, the chopping, all of that. Other than the actual growing, and believe me, if I could grow it, I would. <laughs> and you will make teas and send them to people nice. as well as you have a selection of teas that's always available, right? We have a huge selection of teas. We explained to you how to brew our teas because some people just are confused. They're like, do I need a tea ball? Do I need a special pot? I'm like, darling, a thousand years ago, they had none of that. <laughs> so we have teas here that are for many, many conditions and ailments. We explained to you on our little card how to brew it. Um, you can reach us at any time through our Instagram or through the website and look for us wherever we might be set up. And if you're interested in events, reach out to us. Well, I'm so grateful I had this opportunity to come down here and communicate with you here on the wagon, in the quarter, so close to the Mississippi River. Don't you just feel the energy? The wagon really found a place to come home to. There are no accidents. Mm-mm, no. New Orleans is where we're supposed to be. That was true. The Tea Witch speaking with us from her cart. If you'd like a peek at True's magical conveyance, have a look on poppytooker.com. You can find True through her Instagram account at Tea Witch Tea. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. 
Catch up on previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com, where we have 10 years of Louisiana Eats editions available for pod and webcasting, along with recipes and videos, too. And if you like our show, please rate it on your preferred podcast platform. If you've been dying to experience a real drag brunch, Poppy's pop-up style, please join me and a bevy of beauties at Tujac's Restaurant on Sunday, July 25th. The girls will be beautiful, and the mimosas are guaranteed to be bottomless. To make reservations, call Tujac's Restaurant at 504-525-8676. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Camellia Brand Beans, Crystal Hot Sauce, the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, Rouse's Markets, and from D'Agostino Pasta. Handcrafted in Louisiana from semolina wheat and air-dried over rods in wooden cellars, D'Agostino Pasta is made just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Support for Louisiana Eats also comes from Gulf Coast Blenders. For more than 30 years, Gulf Coast Blenders has produced custom spice and dry blends for restaurant concepts across the country. Gulf Coast Blenders, dry ingredient blends with New Orleans roots. To learn more, visit GulfCoastBlenders.com. Original theme music composed by David Pomerlo and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner and producer and special projects manager Reggie Morris. And to our business manager and social media maven Maddie Mulladew. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting.